turn my mic up. Take there. Yeah, yeah, uh. On the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. All right, so Hustle Fam, we are back with another, another amazing episode. We are here with Miss Shay Lynn Dixon, managing partner at Allegiant Logistics. Um, Shay, first of all, welcome to Truck and Hustle. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm it's a beautiful day out and it's not raining, so awesome, awesome, awesome. All my freight arrived on time today, so I consider that a great day. So you're really gonna talk about work while we're here on the on, on the I podcast? Know, I know, it just I can't get it out of my mind. <laughs> like it's it's a part of me. Dope, dope, dope. So that's what we're here for. We're here to talk about what you do. Mm-hmm. Um you are a freight agent, freight broker. Right, mm-hmm. but you didn't start out that way. Not at all. Okay, so um, let's let's get into your backstory. Let's start from the beginning, Shay. What what where are you from? First of all, let, yeah. let, let's let's take it all the way back. Okay, so I was born outside of Erie, PA, okay. um, in a really small town. I grew up in the projects. Like uh, my father was in the military and he had PTSD, so he had like real bad drug problems. And back in the day, uh, they misdiagnosed people all the time. So my mom had Crohn's disease and we never knew. Mm. Um, So I wound up going into the foster care system and I was in the system for about five years. And then I got adopted when I was nine and moved outside of Philadelphia. So it's like, like, what everybody rags to riches. Right. That's literally You're how like my childhood. You're the fresh prince of Philadelphia. That's right. Well, princess. Well, fresh queen. princess. Queen. Queen, queen yeah. of Philadelphia. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get corrected a lot during this interview, but go ahead. I swear I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> the fresh but, queen of Philadelphia. So, right. So you start off turbulent childhood. Yes. Traumatic. Um, moved to Philadelphia. Yes. I mean, moved to Jersey. Well, I moved outside of Philadelphia. Outside of Philadelphia. So like All where right. Villanova is, Radnor okay, area. Okay, cool. Like the so, suburbs. Yes, I grew up on the main line. I think there was like five black kids in my class mm. in high school. Yep, I went to Conestoga High School. How so, was that? Um, it was challenging, but it built a grit inside of me that would later help me in business, and I didn't realize it. So when I was young, I was like, why am I always feeling like this? I never fit in with the black kids. I was I was too well-spoken. I was too this. Right. And then the the, the white kids were like, mm, you're still black. So <laughs> right. they're like, you sound really good, but you're still black. Like right. I remember selling Girl Scout cookies and knocking on my neighbor's door and she was like, I'm sorry, are you lost? And I was like, what? My mom had to like come back and address her. Wow. That's how it was. So So what was your peer group like? Did you have like a mixed, mixed group of friends? I or? had two separate sectors of friends. Okay. So I had my wife friends and they were awesome they were gonna if I wanted to have fun if I wanted to go on an adventure if I wanted to like sneak out anything that like was bad (laughs) they were there for it and then I had my black friends and they were like my friends from church and they they're my friends now to this day like 25 years later okay um but they were just a lot more you know tame so Awesome, awesome. All right, continue the story. I'm listening. So I'm excited. I, so we moved. Um, I got into a little bit of trouble when I was in uh, middle school. Well, going into high school. I can't imagine. That. I know, <laughs> but you know, a lot of people don't realize that if you don't never resolve or deal with trauma, it mm. manifests itself in other ways. So mm. for me, I just I didn't I didn't want to deal with authority. I didn't want to do anything. That's probably why I'm an entrepreneur now because I don't want to listen to anybody. I just wanted to do things my way. I always felt like my way is the best way. Gotcha. Um, but it got me in trouble. And so when I got in trouble, I, I basically was like, okay, I need a life change. I need something different. Um, my family moved to New Jersey and uh, I finished high school there. 
I moved down to uh, Delaware, actually, outside of Delaware. I went to college there, and I started my first position in a manufacturing company. Um, this old Italian, I swear to this day, he was a mob boss. <laughs> like, really, the whole family worked there. Right. I was the only black person that worked there in the office. Okay. And it taught me a lot. I learned a lot about business, a lot about logistics, a lot about just making money mm. and running a business because they they ran their business like a tight ship. Got you. What were they manufacturing? They were manufacturing polyethylene foam inserts. So, you know, when you buy a gun or the gun casing, yeah. the inserts in there, they're gotcha. made out of like foam compressions yeah. and they press down in there. So I was making sure they got shipped all over the country. Awesome. And so it was awesome to be young, learning that skill set. And I was like, hey, I can do this. There was a whole bunch of men there. And what I realized is that they had an awesome business, but they didn't have any process in place. Okay. I mean, I was handwriting BOLs. I was handwriting tags. Everything was handwritten. Gotcha. So I had the opportunity to kind of learn how to take a process and make it better. Okay. And that was my first experience with manufacturing and logistics at all. Got you. So did anybody ask you to do this or did you just take the initiative to start like kind of building these processes out? So I wanted to make more money and I understood that I, w I didn't want to stay in the role that I was in because I was I was making all right money, but it wasn't enough to sustain me. Um, so I really focused on learning as much as I could so that I could take other people's roles. Okay. So as people started to phase out or um, start families or just do different things, I learned their job so that I was only a person that knew how to do it. Okay. And then what I did is I put a spin on it and I made it easier for myself. Mm. So the boss, he didn't know how the job was done. He just know that he knew that the job got done. Right. So I would, you know, <laughs> switch that thing up and like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Look, we could do it like this. Right. And I was able to kind of make process to kind of make the business a little bit better, okay. but also make my job a lot easier. Got you. What yeah. are some of the things that you implemented that would make the job a little bit easier for you? So um, when you're shipping LTL products, a lot of times um, utilizing a lot of different systems, those systems don't talk to your main system. So having a way to track them, I did in Excel, but back then you're talking about like in the early 2000s, like nobody was, right. you know, right. they... They were doing Excel, but All, they were Everything was manual. It was manual. So I built out spreadsheets and I taught myself Excel. So because I, I was starting in college, but like I it didn't work out. Right, <laughs> it right, just right, didn't right, work right, out. Right, Let's right. just say it didn't work out. Right. Um, so I didn't have necessarily all the skills, the soft skills, but I learned them. I taught myself, I would watch videos, I would ask people about it. Awesome. So I built in a spreadsheet and they were able to track all of our shipments all at one in one place. So everyone could go into this Excel spreadsheet and see where everything was at instead of going through, we were going into the file cabinet and pulling mm. each, I'm like, this is too much. This is <laughs> this too is much, crazy. this is crazy. Right. Um, and so that really helped them, it saved time um, it allowed them to utilize their employees in other areas. And that's when I realized like, whoa, there's real life strategy here. And right. I, I was able to develop that. So got you. What, what did they do to reward you for helping them in that way? Um, nothing. Mm. Yeah. Nothing. Mm. Nothing at all. That huh? was my first experience where you can work really hard. You can help people save money, manpower, and, um, Ultimately, if you don't own the business, you don't get to reap the rewards of that always. Right. What what level did you rise to in that in that so company, I that organization? I ended it like office manager, logistics coordinator. Basically, I ran everything in the office. Right. Um, and that's that's where it ended for me because yeah. I wanted to pursue other opportunities. Were there anybody else that looked like you in in, in that company? There was one girl, okay. and she she ended up inviting me to her church, and so I met her, um, and she taught me a lot too. Um, 
she she came over time and you know we were able to build a bond but again i saw her struggle right. i saw her you know try to navigate things because we were doing a lot of work but not getting paid a lot for it gotcha. so gotcha. we did like four people's roles and at that time i didn't even understand the concept of asking for more right for going back to the table hey i do this this and this right. i need more right of course i learned that over time yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. When you know, being young, you don't realize that, especially being young and black and a woman. Right. You right. know, so you just kind of take what you can get, and you're like, okay, let me work as hard as I can to get more, even if it's not money, it's more, um, you know, security in your job, and that's what I was looking for. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Initially. So what happens next? So it wasn't for me. I was like, you know what, I'm I'm good off this. And how um, long were you there? I was there for almost five years. Okay. Yeah. So you so spent some time there. I did. Yeah. Right. On and off, just always an employee. Okay. So um, I started realizing that I had an entrepreneurial spirit, um, but I didn't want to do the work, right? Okay. Because I was still young. I was still trying to figure things out. I was, you know, just trying to figure life out. Right. Um, I ended up moving and starting in the finance sector because I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try something completely different. I'm going to do finance. Um, I worked for a company called Navy Federal, which okay. was awesome. Cool. Um, and I got the finance side. So that totally changed my mindset towards business mm. because now I understood how money worked. Got you. What, what did Navy, Navy Federal do? So they're a credit union. Okay. And so I... I helped a lot on the collection side. Okay. Um, that that was, and then I went into bankruptcy. Okay. Um, but listening to military families struggle, um, have hardships, deal with uh, collections accounts, it really helped me understand. Okay, there's a bigger picture. One, I don't ever want to go through this with my family. Right. Right. Two. Okay, money controls everything. This company was different though. They rewarded us for our efforts. They they made sure that. If they hit higher KPIs, we were paid out accordingly. And I was like, ooh, I like this. Gotcha. I can deal with this. Right. So it started opening up my mind to kind of different things, okay. right? Being 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 open-minded and, and doing something different. So okay. um, when I left there, I went into a supplier role. Um, I was sourcing and working for a company um, back in New Jersey called Haddon House. Okay. Um, they actually got bought out by UNFI. So I worked for UNFI. Gotcha. Um, but I did a lot of LTL freight move moves, like just consolidations. I kind of learned the whole supply chain process there. Right. I always thought logistics and supply chain were synonymous, gotcha. and they're not at all. Gotcha. Logistics is just a small portion of the supply chain process. So learning that whole process, I was like, wow, okay, I can do this. Like, I, I got this. Right. And um, it exposed me to some other parts of the business, right? So I was like, okay, maybe I... I don't want to go to shipping and receiving or warehousing. Maybe I want to try something different. So UNFI definitely opened my eyes to that. Okay. Um, and then real quick, yeah. why did you make that jump? Because Navy Federal, you say you're doing like collections and stuff like that. Like so now you're into like a logistics type of field, right? What made you I make that change? Okay. Honestly. Okay. Um, I've always had an interest in logistics. Okay. I don't know why. You know, some people. And it's hard to explain, right? Maybe it's the problem-solving aspect of I, it? I do think part of it is the problem-solving. I also am a, a master negotiator. So I enjoy negotiating with people, whether it's my... I'm always negotiating, whether like it's that. my customer or whether it's my carrier or whether it's my team, I'm always negotiating. Okay. And I think that that is what drove me. Okay. The negotiation and the problem-solving, it made me feel... I was like, ooh, okay, I solved a problem and I liked that feeling. Right. I, I felt that there was a, a need for it. It's um, like, like a game to you. 
like, it I, is a game. I can see you light up when you start talking about <laughs> it. You're do. like, I love negotiating. Like, I really like winning. Yeah. That's really what it comes I, down I can, to. I see that. I enjoy winning. And so I learned to kind of develop the skills that I already had so that I can win more. Because oh, okay. the more you win, the better you feel, and then the better you go, and the next time you show up even better, and you right. win more. It's like a cycle. No doubt. No so doubt. when I found something I was winning in, I was like, ooh, this is working for me. Okay. Let, let me go with that. And a lot of people that I talk to, whether it's on Clubhouse or consulting with them, they have that same drive, that that need to win. Mm. And that that's what helps people excel in the logistics business, or gotcha. at least it has been my experience. What, what was the vibe like at, what did you say, U, UNFI? UNFI. What, what was it like working there? I was the only black person again. I don't think I've ever worked at a job where there was a lot of black people. Mm. Um, I was the only person that didn't have a college degree because in logistics they'll tell you, oh, you have to have your bachelor's. And I'm like, I don't have my bachelor's, but I'm a winner and I'm going to accomplish whatever you need me to accomplish and I'm going to do it better than everybody else. Wow. And they would hire me and I would get in there. But again, there was um, there was always this underlying issue, like um, whether it was fear from my peers, right? Because I have such a strong personality and I show up um, fully. Right. So there was always this underlying, like, we don't know if she's coming for my job. <laughs> right, <laughs> this right, girl right. doesn't even have a college degree. Right, you right, know? Right, right, right. So there was that. Um, and then also being the only minority woman in the build, like the only black woman in the building, right. like besides the cleaning staff. Right. You know, I'm like saying, hey, dapping up the cleaning staff, <laughs> you know, because right. that's the only, those are the only black people I see. Right, right, right. You know? And um, how'd you get over that that hurdle, like mentally? Like, what'd you have to do? Did you have to continuously like like give yourself affirmations? Like, what okay. did you do? So I to left get, out get a large that? part of the story. Let's let's when bring it back. When I was adopted, in. Yeah. both of my parents are white, so okay. I was adopted by white. Like, we're considered transracial. I'm considered a transracial adoption. Okay. So my white two white parents adopted two black kids. My brother is my actual brother. Okay. Yes. So Gotcha, okay. And he's incarcerated, so I I you know, I don't talk to him. I talk to him on the phone, but I'm not actually with him. But our journeys have been so different. Gotcha. But a lot of times people um, you know, especially black kids or Asian kids or any minority that's raised by white people, you tend to take on the qualities and mindsets that white people have. Mm. So I had the best of both worlds because I came from like the projects. Like my first memory as a child was like stepping on glass at the park. You know, wow. like that that was <laughs> right, that was right, like right. my childhood. Right. And then being around a lot of very um affluent and very wealthy white people that had a completely different mindset. Mm. So it it really um instilled something in me that I could flex. So I might show up like Stacy Dash at work, but I go home and I'm like Rich homie Kwan. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best way to put it. Right, rich right, homie right. Kwan. Rich you know, homie Kwan. Rich homie Kwan. And shout I to Rich homie Kwan. Yes, shout out. <laughs> if you need a hype man, I'm your girl. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. So, you know, it helped me. So I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't have moments where I sat in my car like a G and cried mm. because they tried me. And there was nothing I could, there's only so much you can do as a black woman in corporate if you even just, if I put, I put a little, I remember one time, ooh, and if she's watching, she knows who she is. Right. I put a little bass in my voice. Right. And she went to HR like, I feel attacked. And I was like, I didn't even come at you with right. full like, strength. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, I was just like, hold on. Just defending yourself more so. I had to get her together a little right. bit because right, she right. tried to throw me under the bus. And that's when I realized, okay, 
one, I have to control my emotions at all times. Mm. And it's the hardest thing to do, especially when people are coming for you because of how you look, not how well I'm doing at the job, not how I'm showing up every day, nothing, just simply for the way that I look, right. Right? right? So I had to learn how to master those emotions and almost kind of get stoic right. and show up. Right. So now I'm unlearning that as an entrepreneur because now I'm, I'm the CEO of my company. So I can tell jokes. I can reference Rich Homie Kwan and it not be an issue. Ah. I'm so used to being in corporate where you have to have the stoic as a black woman or you're considered angry or you're considered these things. Mm. So some of those skills has, have helped me in the logistics business. And that's how I got through every day. And I had friends that were like, it's okay, girl, you got this. <laughs> Self-care, we're going to take a trip. Right, right, <laughs> right, 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 got yeah. you. All right, so so you, you and FI, how long did you stay with them? So I was with them for a little bit over a year. Okay. Yeah. Didn't last long. No, I was like, I got what I needed out of it. I got what I needed out of it, and I got a better opportunity. Okay. So I got an opportunity to work for a cold chain logistics uh, brokerage. Mm -hmm. um, they're in Jersey somewhere. I won't. Okay. Be too specific. Gotcha. And I was so excited. I was hype. Right. I was hype because, again, they were like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't hire, you know, you don't have a degree. I was like, listen, right, I pleaded right, my right, case. Right, right, I was. Right. I went in like ready, prepared. Gotcha. And- um, How'd you find this job? Just, just searching? Yeah, they found me on LinkedIn. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. And so the recruiter was awesome and the process was great. And then they offered me my salary and I was like, oh no, I did the research in South Jersey. This is, you know, comparable rates. And I know I don't have a degree, but no, that was the first time I actually like spoke up for myself. Mm. And I was like, oh, I, I bring way too much to the table to be making this amount of money. Right. And it was a commission based too, okay. but I needed my base salary to be where I was at comfortable at. So commissions were just extra. Gotcha. Um, and I negotiated with them. That and was your first. Yes. And it was a win. I was <laughs> right, like, right, oh, right, right, okay, right. I can do this. That's what made you fall in love with it right there. Oh, oh my goodness. I felt so good. I felt so proud of myself, especially because I was, again, the only black person in there. Right. But they were like, we normally don't hire people entry level at this rate. Yeah, because you're really, you're really the underdog because it's like you don't have the college education that they're asking for. I didn't have the experience. You didn't have the experience they're looking for. And, you and I was black. Right. And, and a woman. Yeah, and you're still able to negotiate. What, what, how'd you do it? I just, I pled my case and I came with the facts. I left emotion out of it and I talked straight to them. And that's how I do with my customers now. And it's that one um, win, just, it changed the game. It changed the game. I still wasn't thinking entrepreneurial mindset at that point. I was just thinking, okay, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to kill it. Right. And I went in there and I killed it. Right. I killed it. I was like, I, they they were really surprised that this young lady that's never been a broker, broker agent before was able to handle these customers, handle this freight the way I handled the carriers. Because again, most of our carriers were minorities and there was no, so when they got off the line, they like, oh, he Jamaican. I'm like- <laughs> He's like, what do you mean Jamaican? I talk to him, no yeah, problem. Yeah, so I call him. I be like, hey, we're going. Yeah, we're going. Yeah, and, and talk oh, right to him. for the friend. We yeah, got it, like, baby. Like, yeah, okay. And I, I'd be right in there. Right. We'd build a relationship, and now that carrier was when the lane when the when things got tough and those rates changed. He was riding for me because we had the relationship. Right. So that's where I understood the power of negotiation, and then the power of building relationships, especially with the carriers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Brokers forget that that relationship is one of the customer relationships are 
important as well. Right. But that carrier relationship is the most important relationship as a broker. Mm. And I learned that from being a broker agent. How long did it take you to get over like, cause I mean, you're still fairly new in this mm -hmm. industry. So yeah. like how, when, when did you make that connection, that click that you can, you can actually prosper it and, and do your thing in, in, in this, in this industry? Um, so as a broker agent, as my broker first agent. month, yeah. so my first month I did so well that I asked them, could I start making commission before the 90 days? I was like, listen, I'm making you guys a lot of money. Do you know what the numbers were? Do you remember? I think it was like, I want to say my first month was like 340,000. Like it was, it right. was like, it was money, but it right. wasn't anything of what I would build to. Right. And I was, I was just so excited. You just came in hitting the ground running. I hit the ground running. I didn't even know how to work the system. I was just figuring it out. I would go home and I would sit and I would go through the system because I understood that I had to show up 10 times better than everyone else in that office. Right. They still gave me a hard time. Right. They still told those good old boy jokes. They still, you know, there's a hierarchy in logistics that, even you know, with black people, but with white people, there's even a hierarchy. Right. You know, from corporate and the men, the men that were account managers and the women that were account managers, they're not their equals. Mm. They're getting them coffee, getting them lunch. And I'm like, y'all do the same role. You make $30,000 less a year. How is this okay? Right. You know, so I started seeing more of like the, the old mindsets in uh, logistics and I, I didn't enjoy it. I was like, you know what? This is not gonna happen. This is not gonna work for me. Right, right, um, right. They offered me like an account manager role, and I was like, Nah, I can't. My son had started having some health issues, and I was like, My child is, you know, important to me. I can't. And they were like, What? Your child? I'm like, You know, for them, logistics is everything over family. For me, family is everything. Right. I'm doing this so that I could leave a legacy for my family. And so my family doesn't, my children, they'll never go through what I went through as a child. Mm. And that's why I showed up every day. That's why I grinded so hard. You know, why I dealt with so much racism, so much sexism, you know, because I understood that this was just a part of the journey. It was another step. And once I got over this step, I didn't know it was on the other side, right. but I knew it was something. Right, right, right. So yeah, no, the industry is extremely thankless. I mean, you're only good as the last load, load. right? That's what they say, that's and that, they and, say. and that's absolutely true. And anybody who gets into this industry will quickly learn that. But I will say, I learned a lot from them. I learned how to um, I learned how to navigate difficult situations. I learned how to sit at a table with a bunch of people that weren't like me and join in on their conversation. I understood, I learned how to be relatable, right? Even though I had not, listen, I don't like Garth Brooks, right? But I learned to, oh yeah, yeah, Garth Brooks, yeah. Right. I learned to be relatable so that I could get the business with the customers. And for our dedicated lanes, most of our carriers were white. Right. So I had to be able to, because of course they get the good freight. Right, that's something that people don't talk about. You know, we we, we know we know <laughs> yeah, we know yeah. who gets the last minute spot lane work where we're trying to nickel and dime you and get thirty percent off the margin. Right. But we know who gets the real rates where it's oh we'll just make ten percent on it because you know John and Joe have been working with our family company for a long time. Right, right. and so I had to navigate both. So I, I learned those skills there. Got you. Where, where do you think those skills came from? Did do you think your childhood had anything to do with being able to oh, be? Oh, for sure. Okay. For sure, childhood, but I also had a supervisor there and they had a saying that was hungry, humble, smart. And that was their their motto. Everybody was hungry, humble, smart. Maybe a little racist, a little sexist, but they were hungry, humble, and smart. Mm. And that stuck with me because when there was times where 
we couldn't get a load covered. And our customer was like, hey, I don't care what you do. If you lose this, you lose a million dollar contract. Right. Get it moved. Right. We were all there, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, we were always constantly working. And that's where the humble comes in. Because mm. if you, a lot of people getting into the industry, like for the first time, they don't realize there's some, like some real life humility. There's some days where if, we have staff out or someone that can't handle something, I'm posting content. I'm calling dispatching drivers. I'm, you know, I'm filling in for whatever. And that's that humble part that I learned there. Right, right, right. It was, it was tough. It was tough. Mm. But. At any point, did you get overwhelmed? Were you ever re ready to quit? Oh, yes. A lot. A and, lot. And how did you keep going? The money. I looked at my commission paychecks. I would print them and put them in my drawer. So when I wanted to quit, I'd pull out that commission check. And even after they took 35 32 percent. The government got theirs. <laughs> I look and I'd be like, okay, right, right, keep right. Going. And what type of money were you making back then? So monthly commissions were anywhere from four to eight thousand dollars, and that was good for me yeah. starting off because I was new in the industry. Yeah. I didn't even realize it could get better. Right, 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 right. And uh, and then we would get yearly bonuses. So if we hit our KPIs for the year, everyone would get paid out per team uh, at the beginning of the year, and that was like closer to like ten thousand dollars and up. So depending on the year. So to me, yeah. going from, you know, not ha like just making all right money to like making good money in a salary plus getting commission. Right. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. No doubt. Entrepreneurship never crossed my mind at that time though. Okay. So I didn't. when does entrepreneurship start to cross your mind? So my son got diagnosed with epilepsy and I had to keep taking him to the doctor and they were like, Oh, you got another excuse. Oh, your child's sick again. It was, and you know, it snows up there. So between school being closed for snowstorms and taking him to the doctor, like you're missing a lot of work. Right. You're doing, and I was like, if I was working for myself, I wouldn't have to deal with this. Right. It's because I'm working for someone else. Right. And so that's the first. That's the real live moment. I've always had like a, you know, a hustle to me. So I was like, you know, selling vacuums or selling Mary Kay right, or right, selling right, it right, works. But right, right. Um, the actual like being a business owner, running a business, a, a legitimate business, crossed my mind. I said, I wish I had the freedom. I wish I could do this job and have the freedom. Right. So my son um, was hospitalized, and we were going through a lot trying to get his medication right, and they were like take some time off. So I took some time off and um, the time extended and they were like, hey, we're not going to hold your job for you. Mm. And so they let me go. And I was like, man, I'm just out here trying to figure things out. So I started consulting. Okay. And that I realized that those same problem solving skills and negotiating skills I could use to help other small business owners. How'd you, how'd you, uh, I guess, realize that consulting was actually a thing. Like, how'd you know that that was something no, that you could do? I actually was thrusted into it. People were like, Shay, you used to work here. Help me. Okay. Help me with this. Help me with this. And sometimes I didn't even know how to help them, right. but I could find somebody for them that could. Okay. And that's when I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, my husband and I were like, let's move to Georgia. We were just wanting something different. We're wanting to, you know, they always say that Georgia is like, Black Hollywood right. and right. Wakanda. So, yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> everyone up north, you know, they're like, and it felt good. Right. That was the first time that I came down south and I was like, I was going places and everyone was black. Right. And right. I was like, and they weren't poor because up, right. up north, you know how it is. That's the key. The, the black people that I knew from up north were either. Very affluent, where they weren't even, they didn't even want to talk to a peasant like me, <laughs> right? Right. 
or they lived in Camden and they were just trying to make it up out of Camden. Right, right. So, you know, I didn't get to see a lot of affluent black people in Jersey. Um, it was just all like middle class. So right. coming here, I was like, wow. And every person I talked to, I, I'd be like, what do you do? And they'd be like, I'm an entrepreneur. Right. I'm an right. entrepreneur. I'm like, no, what exactly do you do? <laughs> right. uh, real estate, investing, and logistics. Right. And I was like, I'm not going into logistics. Mm. So um, when COVID happened, you know, we had met some people from our church, our business partners now. Okay. Um, but then we didn't know that they would be our business partners. And they owned a transportation company. And so they were doing airport shuttles, um, school shuttles, everything. Um, tra- basically, a- transporting essential people, essential places, right? Okay, okay. And COVID happened. And they couldn't transport people anymore. Everything was shut down. And um, because I had kind of formed a consultant relationship with them, they were like, let's do something new. And I was like, well, we could always open a brokerage. Although I said I would never go back into logistics, I saw the opportunity. Right. So my business partner, Tisa, and myself, we sat for for a few months, actually, and really just started writing down what that looked like. We were doing research because, again, I had worked as a broker agent, but I had never, ever ran a business at that magnitude because a brokerage is not a small business, If not if you're going to do it right. Right. It's not a small investment. Right. And because they had that business acumen from being in business for a while, we're like, this is an awesome partnership. Mm. Um, so the two of us really, really spent a lot of time researching. The number one question I get is from people is, well, how did you start your brokerage? Right. And what did you do? Right. And I researched. The two of us, we would sit for hours. We would read every industry article we could because we really wanted to figure out what was going to set us apart. Mm. What was going to make us different, Right. There's here in Atlanta. There's a lot of transportation companies. I didn't even realize how many until I like actually started the business, and I was like, "Wow, right, right, there's right. a lot, right. but not a lot of them are profitable." Right. And there's a lot of women-owned businesses, but only one percent gets over to, over a million dollars. And so that was enough for me to be like, "I need. I want to do this differently gotcha. because I'm going to defy the odds. I'm going to be that black woman-owned business that gets over a million dollars." But gotcha. I knew that foundation was the most important part to it. Mm. Awesome. So what are the things that you guys did to stand out? Okay. So what we did is, first of all, we we picked what our equipment focus was going to be. I came from a reefer background, cold storage. I didn't like it. I didn't like reefers. I didn't like dealing with reefers. So I said from the gate, off the list, I don't want to do any reefers. Now right. we do reefers every now and again, but it's not our core, um, like core industry. And, yeah. Right. So... Um, we started talking about the things that we enjoyed, the things that we were knowledgeable in. We realized that there was family that we had in um, the aerospace industry or avionics. And we noticed that as we started going to different um, virtual events to learn more about these industries, there was no black women there. So we saw the opportunity. And of course, right now, because of Black Lives Matter, it's like the fad to do business with women and and black women. So we were like, Let's go into a space where not a lot of people look like us. Yeah. And we realize that not a lot of people are in that space because the the cargo is high value. So it's really expensive, which means your insurance is, you know, you're talking in the millions range. You're talking about a small crate that's legal sized to want a flatbed, being a thrust reverser, being worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, right. only 2,000 pounds. But, you know, you're talking about $400,000 for a part. Right. You know, that's... 
that's why there's not a lot of us in that space because the barriers to entry are really high. Mm. Yep. So you basically, you found your niche first. Right, that's the first thing we did. And you said it's an aerospace. Yes, that's we said like aerospace. really different. And you know what's crazy? We, um, we had other people tell us not to do aerospace. They're like, no, go with retail, go with dry food because those are the, that's the easiest way. So we tried that, a little, we mixed that a little bit in, in the beginning and we were like, no, aerospace. Right. Um, we filed our business license in June. We had our grand opening in October of last year. We got our first customer that Monday. Our mm. grand opening was on Friday. We got our first customer that Monday and it was an aerospace company. How? Um, they saw a post that we did. We positioned ourselves. So I made sure everything I posted about was aerospace. I posted, I want to do business with aerospace. I shared, we joined aviation groups. We joined um, avionics groups. We just immersed ourselves in that industry. You get noticed when you do that. Gotcha. And that's the first thing I tell people. Set, you need something that's going to make you completely different than your competitor. Right, right. Because they'll follow after you, but it'll never be the same as how you do it. Right. Right? And there's yeah. other women um, and there's other logistics companies that are in the aerospace, but none of them black. Mm, awesome. What were some of the challenges that you faced early on? Okay. So one, um, the big thing was insurance. Um, not the cost of it, but understanding the types of insurance we needed and really focusing on having the underwriters write a policy that was specific for our business, not a blanket policy. Mm. And some of the language we weren't familiar with, so we really had to, and when I say we, I mean my business partner, Tease. Right. She did it, <laughs> um, but you know, I was there really, too. <laughs> she, really did a, she really did a lot of that with them. And you know, we were, we were there, but um, we really had to learn that. And I, I wasn't in insurance, but right. we understood that we wanted to be properly protected because most carriers have maybe 100,000, 200, 250 of cargo insurance. So we're filling in the gap. Right. And we need to make sure that we're prepared because the worst thing I'd like to do is have you know something on the back of a, a flatbed and now I have a claim for $400,000. My business is, a, it's less than six months and I'm out of business. Right, right. Um, so that was insurance was really um, big. And then making sure that we understood how their business worked. Okay. So one of the things we were able to really understand is how the aerospace industry works. And a lot of times um, we were able to figure out that the freight is moved by the customer. So although our customer is an aerospace company or an aerospace repair company or an aerospace manu parts manufacturer, their customer is the one who actually controls who moves the freight. Okay. So we can have this customer, but we might get one-off loads from them or spot loads. In order to get that dedicated freight, we realized we had to go to our customer's customer. And they don't tell you who their customer is. So it's a lot of probing, relationship building. It's a, we, We've done a lot of research. I think that LinkedIn, they like put a block on me for a little bit because they were like, you're, you're, you're on here every day. You know, they're like, upgrade to premium. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do premium. Right, right, You know, right. I don't want to have that little badge, but I'm still going to network and, and learn. And so I think that that's, those were the two challenges, identifying who do we actually need as a customer, right? Because... The aerospace customers that everyone seems like Gulfstream and these other companies, they're servicing their customer and the customer is making the decisions with, by their already based relationships. So I think figuring out 
the the zigzag in the pipeline because no one tells you that. Right. right no one right. tell even our customers didn't tell us. We had to figure it out on our own. Interesting. What what's the worst thing that could happen in your industry? Like what what's what do you what do you what don't you sleep good at night about? So not having qualified carriers. Mm. So if you are listening to this and you are a flatbed driver, get at me. Mm. Um, because I'm always looking, we have more freight than carriers. And thank God that we constantly are meeting people. Um, you know, and I, we don't have more freight than carriers, but more qualified carriers. So our customers are of a higher echelon, I feel. Okay. They're not just like the mom and pop shop, right? And so because they are transporting and dealing with higher volumes and higher uh, value cargo, they have a different expectation of us. Okay. So I can't just send, you know, oh, Jabril in and he's like, what's up, man? You know, I'm like, hey, we need some professionalism. Right. I require pictures taken of the freight. Like I have um, just, you know, I, I like the process to be right. And so finding qualified carriers and um, we've developed a few carriers that maybe weren't the best and they've, they've picked up the pace, um, but finding other carriers. And we want to give opportunities to minorities as well. And it's hard to find um, minorities that have everything in, in there, in, you know, just together. together. Yeah. What, what do you guys do in terms of like systems and processes to make your organization run smoothly? So we are, our foundation is systems and process. Everything is a system and process. So we got another customer maybe six weeks ago and they required uh, technology that we didn't have. So we didn't, we weren't EDI compliant okay. uh, previously. There's so much expense in it. For a small business, it's a huge expense. Right. You're talking thousands on the front end just to get it set up. Right. I don't even know what type of freight I'm gonna get in the end. Right. So for us, um, we were able to, we don't do like the executive bonuses. We don't, you know, we, we're not like um, taking a lot of money out of our business. Instead, we're investing in technology. So our systems and process were made easier by the technology we invested in. So we mm -hmm. went, we started off with like ITS dispatch, right? We love them. They were great. It's no frills when you're first starting off as a broker. Um, but we realized that now because we're moving more freight and we need more KPIs or reports for our customers, we went to DAT Keypoint. And it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> right. And so, but it's helped our process because you have to learn it. It's a real life system. So we're able to go through and be like, okay. So now when we hire a new dispatcher, I'm like, hey, here's a printout. This is how you walk through in the system with screenshots. This is exactly what my expectation is, how you'll document and notate the account, how you'll go through this. So that process is really important. We also built the process ourselves by working it. Okay. So we don't just outsource everything. We Every single role that we have that we've outsourced, whether it's business development, whether it's dispatching, cold calling, Anything that we've outsourced, we've done ourselves mm. to build the process first so we can make sure we can train somebody so that they can do, I want it replicated the same exact way I do it. Right, right. That's it. How, how did you uh, get to understand pricing? Okay, so pricing I learned at the previous company I was with, um, but I made a checklist. I made a checklist of all the things to consider before you actually give a quote, from weather to capacity to using DAT, to um, contacting and sourcing carriers. So I read a lot. Mm. And so I, I'm i on freight waves uh, like every day right. because that's where the knowledge, they're giving you the information. Right. This is what's going on right now. Right now, this is what's happening. Rates are, are down, but load counts up, right? People are, people are getting more freight. 
but it's at a lower value. Gas is going up. So I'm taking all of these things into consideration. So I literally have a checklist I go through my mind, like, okay, what's the weather like in that area? Okay, other side, do I want a relationship with this customer? Mm. Is this one off? Am I just trying to move the freight for them or am I trying to build a relationship? Because you know, 10% margins versus 25 is really different depending on the relationship. I'm willing to take a 10% margin if I know there's more opportunity down the lane, right. you know, down right. down the line. Right. But if not, it's definitely gonna be more like 20, 20%. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, Let, let's let's talk about some of that master negotiating that yes, you touched on. Because yes. I, I I love like to hear about people's tactics and yeah. how they negotiate. When you walk into a room and you're about to negotiate, what what's what's your mindset? What are you thinking of? My mindset is that I'm here to provide value, but they need me too. And so I always remember that there's two sides to it. So I lay everything on the table. This is what I can do for you. And this is what I want in return. So every single business meeting, opportunity, employee I hire, even this, right? I'm figuring how can I add value? And what, what am I gonna get in return? Is this going to benefit my business or my personal brand? And is this gonna also in return benefit the person who's sitting across from me? Mm. So I come at my customers, I come at my carriers like straight up from the from the hip. This is how I can benefit you. But this is what I ask in return. Right, right, right. And for me with my customers, I don't do cheap freight. Mm. People are always like, what do you mean you don't do cheap freight? I don't do cheap freight because a lot of times it's not worth my time or the manpower, right? right? So. For instance, I had a consulting client. They were like, yeah, I just moved you know, 40 loads. And in the same span of time, I only moved 10 loads. But I made more money than them. Right. So it's not always quantity. And we, when you get started, you're like, oh, hold on. Let me, I'm trying to get as many loads as I can. I'm trying to get you know, as much as I can. Right. So understanding what I bring to the table and how I can add value it was the best way for me to negotiate. Even with the carriers, yeah. knowing the lanes, these carriers are out here in it. So like I had a load um, last minute, they got it went through customs and I had to pick it up in Pittsburgh going to Alabama and it was snowing. And my carrier's like, man, you want me to get out and tarp this in the snow? And <laughs> I got you. So I'm like, look, I, I appreciate your time, you know, whatever. I, I was able to even get him to do the load because I was able to tell him, look, this is what I can do for you. I can get you a return um, load coming out of here for another customer of mine, you, you know, out of Georgia, going back up that way. I was able to kind of give him something in return. Right. You can't go and negotiate if you have nothing that you're giving the person that's sitting on the other. Like, if you have nothing to give them in right. return, right. Th there's, there's, no, there's no value to provide. Sure. So I try to make sure I have value. I love that. I love yeah. it. That, that is super dope. What is the future of Allegiant? So the future of Allegiant Logistics is that we are going to be the premier global transportation provider in the aerospace and logistics industry. Mm. And that's my goal. I want to go global. Um, I want to have satellite offices in other countries. I want to create opportunities for young people. I wish that someone would have told me about this side of logistics back in the day. Gotcha. I would be I would be a fleet owner. Right. I'd have a fleet of trucks. Mm. We also uh, plan to expand our assets. Okay. We just have sprinters, but we want to expand, um, you know, in the flatbed side. Okay. Um, and maybe reefers one day. Right. <laughs> Talk about when did when did you guys add the sprinters? So they actually carried them over from uh, their their previous 
uh, position okay. and, and with the airporting. So we do a lot of like cargo moves, small okay. cargo moves, medical currying. Okay. Um, so that's a good way to keep the sprinters just running right, um, right. in the interim, those small same day expedited loads and things of that nature. Just getting creative, diversifying your brokerage. It's yeah. so important. So that's what we're trying to do. Wow, awesome, awesome. All right, Miss Shaylin Dixon, man, you've been bringing it. You've been bringing the heat. I try. I got, I, I got, we, we, we gonna wrap it up. But yes. before you go, mm -hmm. um, it's law here yes. um, that we have to get a final thought. Yes. And I mean, you've been dropping so much jewels out. You've had a few final thoughts, yeah. but I need you to just really think about it and, and, and give me one good one for the audience before you go. Okay. And then just let everybody know where they can connect with you, learn more about Allegiant, learn more about what you guys are doing, yeah. you know, all your socials, all that good stuff. So let's start with the final thought. Okay. My final thought, show up, know what you do and advocate for your business. No one else is going to believe in your business or utilize your business if you don't believe in it. So make sure you do everything you can to make that foundation so that people will use your business, promote your business, and you have to position your business. Show up and even do a scared because I do it all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> no That's doubt. That's my final thought. And where, where can everybody connect with you? Yes. So you can connect with me at AllegiantGA.com. We're at Allegiant Logistics on all social media outlets or Shaylin Dixon on all social media outlets. No doubt. Shay, you're one dope individual, man. I, I appreciate have, it. I don't have anything else to say. Listen. Listen. Hustle fam, you know what we always say. If you smell something burning, it's only your desire. And Shay and I, we are out. Later. <laughs>